Greetings and salutations, board game fans. The Dice Pirates are back. This is episode 39. We are going to go ahead and bring you a review of the Stardew Valley board game today. Of course, that is a very popular, extremely good uh, farming sim that has, you know, been very, very popular, very successful for quite a while. And it came out with a board game recently. So we are going to bring that to you. I, of course, am your captain, Ian, joined by Matt. And Aaron, how you guys doing? Hoi hoi. Doing good. I'm star doing great. Oh, you see what I did there? Hey. That, ladies and gentlemen, is called foreshadowing. That's why that's why y'all pay me the big bucks. To bring <laughs> to bring the to bring quality high quality humor like that that our customers demand. In a manner of speaking, you do have the highest salary on this podcast, that is true. Yeah. Sure. All right, we're going to go ahead and move on, and we do actually have a couple soapboxes for you today. Aaron, I know you got something you want to talk about. What do you What do you got going on? So I know my, my soapboxes are usually uh, all viv and vigor and full of vitriol. I'll try to, to bring something to get angry about. Uh, but I want to talk about this week something that blows me away that people are still discovering that this is not something that just everyone who is into board games knows. And I hope if you are this deep in the hobby that you're listening to podcasts about board games that you do already know about it. Uh, but my soapbox this week is going to be Board Game Arena. which Love if Board you, Game Arena. If you somehow don't already know, Board Game Arena is this magical website where you just go make an account. You can log in on your phone, your computer, anything that's got an inter internet browser. And you can play board games. And they have hundreds upon hundreds there's so many games most of which you can play completely for free uh, they do have a, a premium model which i'll get to in a second but just so many games and what's crazy to me is when i signed up for it uh eight years ago uh they had a lot of games not as many games but there were a lot of Re-implementations of classic family card games and dice games. They were not; these were not games that you would buy on a shelf. These were games that you would find on a slip of paper inside a deck of playing cards, which is still cool. Uh, Board Game Arena. Something. If, if you're familiar with something like Tabletop Simulator, what really sets Board Game Arena apart is that the rules for every game are enforced, meaning you can't just pick up your pawn and set it on the other side of the board. You have to be able to have gotten there within the game. So the game enforces the rules for you, and it actually makes it much easier to learn certain games because you can only do things that you're allowed to do, and it will prompt you, you have this action available to you. Do you want to take this action? And if you are just stumbling around in the darkness, you can now take that and be like, okay, what does this action do? There's usually a real helpful at the bottom of the page of every game as you're playing will be like, here's how to play this. Here's suggested strategies on how to, to move forward. And uh, for those not in the know, Asmodee actually purchased Board Game Arena about a year ago. Oh, did not know that. Yes. Uh, so they... Uh, and there was there was a big hullabaloo about the changes that were probably going to come as a result. And 
The one negative change is the premium model. Some games are premium games, meaning in order to play them, the person who starts the table, so the person who launches the game, has to be a premium member. Everyone else at the table can be free. So if this sounds like something good for you and your group, maybe you can't get together every single week or as often as you want, only one person needs to have a premium account, and they can just invite the rest of the group to the table, and everyone can play together. So the premium account went from, I believe, $25 a year to $30 a year, which is still less than one penny a day. So, like, I have no complaints there. Right. And I, they, I, I love that your method of figuring out the price, though, is per day cost. I love that. I mean, it's less than a penny a day. Yes, that's true. You can't you can't argue with that. Okay, this, I'm not talking. You know, this is this is going to cost you math. one trip to Starbucks a week. No, 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 no. This is less penny than less than penny a day. Less than a penny a day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so that gets you, uh, you know, premium access access to the premium games, and the the upshot. Uh, since Asmodee purchased Board Game Arena, is the speed and quality of games that are being added. The speed at which they're adding games and the quality of these games has really, really gone up. Um, a game that uh, I know Max kickstarted and got a while ago, Carnegie, was available to play on Board Game Arena before people had started getting their copies of it in mm. hand. In the past couple weeks, they've added... Ticket to Ride and Wingspan to Board Game Arena. Previously, they've also added stuff like Blood Rage and Teotihuacan. So, like, these are not like now. It it has a growing library of games that you have heard of, games that you know of, games that you actually want to play, and not oh well, let's see what this is and see if this is fun. I've also found some games that like, oh, wow, I really like this yeah. just from having played it on Board Game Arena. I know, Matt, you uh, – I think you played Q-Birds with us one night and liked it so much you went out and bought it. Yes. Yeah, Q-Birds uh, discovered on Board Game Arena, and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic game. I, I do like uh, Board Game Arena a lot. The one thing – and I'll be curious because I know you've played more of this than I have – is – like, because with digital board games, it can get interesting because I, I own a bunch of the different board games that they've put on Steam and things like that, a bunch of that adaptations. And those can be kind of hit or miss because, you know, as you move from one to the other, there's no set of consistency. I guess, like, a question I would have is how well, like, because each game is obviously designed to, you know, put in there the way it's meant to be. So it's, you know, like you said, the rules are enforced. It is actually built so you can play the game the way it's meant to be. But are they all fairly of the same quality in terms of like the ability to play? Like, are they put together? Is there a, a threshold of quality that is expected? So something that uh, Board Game Arena does that I think is really slick is anybody can design a game. Even before Board Game Arena has reached out to the publisher to try and work out a deal for the rights to actually publish the game on the website... Anybody who understands their coding script that they use to make the games on the website can knock a game together. And when you design a game, you can have it go into private alpha, meaning you and your friends 
and other people in the community can try it out. Then you can release it to a public alpha where anyone on the website who so desires, who meets certain uh, longevity qualifications, you know, played a certain number of games and a certain number of different games, can become a BGA reviewer and they can play these public alpha games and say, you know, interact directly with the person who's developing it for the website and say, this part is kind of janky, the font is weird on this, but otherwise everything's golden. And then once that gets enough approvals and Board Game Arena has the uh, licensing worked out with the publisher, then it goes into a beta. And as long as you're a premium member, you can play the beta games. And then if it makes it through beta, people are saying, hey, this game works really well, everything's perfect. Then it can. Then it's just a game that everyone can play. So they they put a lot. There's there are. It's it's not so many hurdles that it takes forever or it becomes an impedance. But there is a very good amount of quality control from somebody putting the game together on their computer to you logging onto Board Game Arena and it being on the homepage now. The one one more thing, and then I'm done. One more thing I do want to say about Board Game Arena, the thing that it has head and shoulders above board game specific apps, above tabletop simulator, all of these is how perfectly it does asynchronous play. I have a group of a couple groups of people I play games with just online, and we all have different schedules. So rather than us all try and figure out the one Thursday of fiscal quarter that we can play games for two hours. You just start a game and you invite people and they join the game and you set it up as a turn-based game. So I take my turn and then you get an email that says, hey, it's your turn. And whenever you log into the website, there's a little icon in the corner that says you have turns at this many tables right now i have about 25 tables that i'm sitting at right now <laughs> on board game arena. i have 25 <laughs> games that i'm playing so every time i open up board game arena on my phone or on my computer I, I can just real quick jump to the next game take my turn do what i need to do go to the next game without it being this whole convoluted process because uh some like it's I will say the apps are going to be much prettier. The purpose-built apps are going to be much better to look at, much better to listen to. They they value a good balance of form and function. Board Game Arena, it's all function. There is no form. Like they don't they don't try and make anything pretty or aesthetically pleasing. It's just how it is it's just a website but the beauty of that is that means that website can run on your phone your tablet your four-year-old you know computer that's been gathering dust in the corner like it'll run on just about anything and allow you to access this huge library of games and this massive amount of people because there are always people playing games on board gamer right now how many people are playing splendor right now and having the time of their life I actually have that one blocked on my filter, so sure. it, it doesn't even yeah. show up for me. Aaron, Aaron hates Splendor. <laughs> he goes into a rage whenever he sees that. Uh, That's really cool. But yeah, Sorry, no, I just it's 
I know we've talked about it before. I know we've mentioned it in passing, uh, but I just I really wanted to to give it its proper due because Board Game Arena is is somehow like every day I go on the Board Game subreddit and there's like somebody. 15 deep in the comments is like what's board game right now and i'm like how do you not know about this by now yeah it seems it still seems like a best kept secret uh in this in the scene and i don't know why and you're right we we've hyped it on here before i'm really glad you brought it up again it just doesn't get enough attention it's so much easier to use than tabletop simulator which is i feel like the the online platform that most people know about and a lot of people are using i on the record i can't stand tabletop simulator Mostly because I don't like the core conceit of like trying to recreate a digital tablescape and move things around. That sounds really fun uh, in theory, but in practice, it's a recipe for just weird glitches and awkward moments. If we all lived in like a holodeck or something, and like you could all see, you know, if this were like 25, 30 years in the future and there were like tactile VR gloves that worked. The tabletop simulator would be great, but it's not. So Board Game Arena takes games you love and puts them in a, a online interface that's actually useful and user-friendly, but somehow still manages to make the games feel right. So I love it. It's good stuff. It really is a fantastic, absolutely. It's a fantastic resource, like you guys said. Matt, I know that you had something that you wanted to talk about as well. What do you have for us? Well, I will keep it brief so we can get into the main show, but I wanted to chat a little bit about uh, a little game. This is a small game that not a lot of people know about. I wanted to clue you guys in. It's a little something called Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Have you guys heard of this one? It's it's pretty good. Uh, boom, boom Shaven? What? Yeah, Freak it's called uh, Boom Shaven uh, Jaws of the Jaws of the uh, Capybara. Uh <laughs> Uh, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. All right, so obviously this game is a massively popular game, uh, as is is its big brother Gloomhaven. But uh, I had not played Jaws of the Lion, even though it's been out for several years now, and it dropped down to a ludicrously low price the other day on Amazon, and I just went for it. I was like, let's just go ahead and get it. And so, you know, a few days later, this massive uh, box, this cinder block of a board game shows up at the house and it's still and i kept it still for like weeks not opening because i was like Ugh, do i really want to get into gloomhaven again but me and max were like you know let's take the plunge let's get into it let's see what this campaign is all about and it's really good uh it's gloomhaven there's no significant difference between gloomhaven jaws of the lion and big gloomhaven if you played it but the one thing about it that i wanted to talk about as far as like a, a soapbox a, a hot take is that this game has the best onboarding for a new player of like anything i've encountered it's so good you open up the box uh you open up a learn to play guide it tells you to turn to the first scenario tells you to pull out the stuff you need and you're up and playing in like minutes and it's teaching wow. you to play as you go and so you don't have to read the rules you don't even have to like unbox really like all the actually I, I i'm neglecting a marvelous first step it instructs you how to unbox all the components and bag them and store them in a way that makes sense and it's awesome and it gives you enough little baggies to store everything so you don't even wow. you don't even have to buy your own like little baggies it's so thoughtful i was like you can tell the people who made this are board game like real board gamers the the fact that like you're saying it doesn't you don't have to open up everything at once mm -mm. like it literally tells you you need this you stuff need this. from this sheet of tokens yes. and these boxes and that's it 
That's it. Don't touch anything else yet because it's just going to make a mess. Yeah. Like that is, it's one of the few games that you really could just sit down and play without cracking the plastic wrap. Yes, you could. You could uh, totally disobey the cardinal rule of like if you're going to invite friends over to play a new game that you should. In most cases, have it completely unboxed, unpackaged, and have read the rules five times. But this is one that literally you could just sit down with your friends and open it together and be up and playing because the learn to play guy is, is that good. It's awesome. So basically, it introduces you to the basic story of the game. It introduces you to the first scenario right out the gate. You're under attack. Troubles happened. And then it takes you through five... Uh, missions and at the end of the fifth mission you level up for the first time and then it takes the reins off and you're just in it now uh we've spent several weeks doing those first five missions there it's awesome it progressively adds more complexity like the next mission adds traps and other like mechanics that weren't in the first and then the next mission adds something else and so by the end you've seen you know really everything and you fully learned how to play the game and it's hooked you into a you know, not the most complex story in the world, but I'm actually, I kind of want to know where this is going. You know, there's trouble afoot in the city of Gloomhaven. Terrible things are happening. Uh, I'm like, this is really good. It's a remarkably well done introduction and ramp up to a video, to a board game. And I think more board games, especially ones that have the depth of like Gloomhaven could benefit from this kind of like tutorial mode stuff so it's really good if you've ever been intimidated by the thought of buying gloomhaven and its giant box and just thinking like i wouldn't even know where to start with that jaws of the lion is a great starting point and it's real affordable it's shocking how there's a lot of board game that you're getting for you can get that game for 25 bucks I I've, I've seen it like you know flash sales on amazon like really quick but i have seen it as low as like 20 bucks yeah for twenty bucks, like I felt like I had, I got it for twenty. It, it did. It flash sailed one day. I happened to have a ten dollar gift card because of some other thing, and so I was like, okay, with the gift card, that's ten dollars out of pocket. I was like, come on, I'd be crazy not to get it. So I bought it, and I'm happy I did. I mean, that's like you said for that cheap of a price. I mean, that's you know, something I maybe even think about moving forward. But it's interesting when you mention that you know, it's a a game that you can tell is made by my board gamers yes because it's almost like I, I i felt like it's almost indicative of people who at least know people who aren't into board games yeah um and are, are interested in getting them in because one thing that you know especially for me and you know thinking about getting a game that big and it's okay i have to pull everything out i gotta figure out how to box it mm-hmm. and when i look at max's pictures or when i see his instagram posts about pulling out of the all the figurines out of the massive darkness box i'm just like that is that that's like an entire day like he just spent his entire day figuring out how to box these how to pull them out how to, to get things organized properly it's it's a complete undertaking and so knowing that they not only set it up so that you can learn to play it easily mm-hmm. for people who aren't used to going through those massive rule books, but they also let you know how to unbox it properly so that you're not getting yourself in over your head. Yes. I think that really speaks to them actually considering people outside of the core group of people that they were looking at. So often I think, you know, these games are marketed towards those specific people. Yeah. This seems like it's actually supposed to be for a broad. Well, yeah, this is definitely a bridge game to get you in. And there's a reason why it's like, it sells at target in places where like mass market consumers are going to like pick this up on a whim and they're not going to be completely overwhelmed. So it's really good. Uh, Big, uh, just to wrap up, just big picture thoughts about, revisiting Gloomhaven as a system. 
uh, I'm having the same experience of like falling like fast in love with it and then it becoming exhausting to me, like the mental energy of <laughs> Get it. Get it? Exhausting? Yeah. Because you're in that game, you, you're Yes, you do exhaust. Uh, I didn't even mean to do that, but I'm glad I did. Um, there's something about the combat that feels so smart when you're first starting to play it, but where it gets hard for me is like when you start getting, when once you start to level up and you start adding cards to your little deck of maneuvers and then uh, building like a balanced hand to carry with you into the mission is so sweaty. Like I have so much trouble like parsing from all the cards I've unlocked to figure out a good hand. And then inevitably I get in a mission and it's, I don't know. There's just something about that game that paradoxically, as you level up, I feel like less powerful. I don't know why that is because the game itself is getting harder. You have more options. You can actually like build a really bad hand and take it into a mission and like be crappy. So even though you're like level four, it's like you feel like you're doing worse than when you're level one. I don't know. It's a weird system. I still have a ton of mixed feelings about it. I still like have moments where I was like, I just missed the clunk of dice. Uh, but it's, uh, you can't call it bad. It's not bad at all, but it's no. just, it's interesting. I think if you do make it through, I, I think we should definitely do an episode where you, you break it down, do a full review of the game, see what you think about it. We can get Max on for it as well. Yeah, I think really so. Really kind of dive into I think that. we're going to finish it. I really do. I don't know how many missions are total in it. I'm trying not to do spoilers. Like, I hadn't flipped ahead at all in the scenario book. So I don't. I literally don't even know what I'm in for. But uh, we just got past the fifth scenario, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So. Well, best of luck to you on that then. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and move on to our game. And actually, I got a little bit of a break this week because Aaron has actually brought a rulebook randomness for us. So I uh, recently, this is a game that, uh, so common etiquette is you're not supposed to talk about games that are in alpha on Board Game Arena. Um, but this is a game that's in alpha in Board Game Arena that I started to play because one of my internet friends is like, this is her game. It's called Obsession. And it's about a courtship in, like, the, you know, kind of <clears throat> uh, Pride and Prejudice times. Okay, fantastic. And in the going through the rule books, which I was looking through the, the setup of the rules just to, to familiarize with myself with it. Obviously, Board Game Arena takes care of all of this. Uh, there's a square on the main board called Servants for Hire. The Servants for Hire supply area holds different servants that may be hired during the game. The number of servants varies depending on the number of players, etc, etc. Important. Red text. Important. The under butler pawns are stored in the servants for hire area, but the under butler is not acquired in the same fashion as footmen, valets, and ladies' maids, who are, of course, hired by the butler in the butler's room. The under butler is only hired when a butler's pantry service tile is purchased from the builder's market. Then and only then is the under butler taken from the servants for hire area. The thing well, I love about this specific game is, like, in context, everything makes sense. Sure. No, I'm sure. But, but like, what, what a, did I even just say? I don't know what, what you said. What a bunch of word salad. I can't oh stop thinking gosh. about the phrase underbutler. I feel like an underbutler is and you're, a butler you're welcome. that you... Yeah. You're welcome now, because now you can now you have that in your pocket. Well, there's so many things about the phrase underbutler that I want to talk about. One, it says, it's got, <laughs> it starts with the phrase underbutt, which is funny. <laughs> Uh, but also, an underbutler sounds like a butler you summon with like a like a pentagram on the ground. The, you know, the, the underbutler has appeared in a 
cloud of sulfurous smoke. I guess when you said this was like a, a Pride and Prejudice type, like era of courtship, I assume courtship would be more focused, but it, it, it sounds like instead you're managing a vast array of, of servants in a, in a house. I didn't... That seems... I didn't take Intense. a picture. Um, the designer of this game, uh, it's he, his website is the only way you can get the game. You have to buy it directly from him, which is, I think, kind of a cool flex in this day and age. Yeah. Um, in the rule book for Obsession, he actually has a pie chart, and this is on like page two or three of the rule book, of where your points are going to come from at the end of the game. On the one hand, that's very cool. To someone like me who likes to kind of have an idea of what I should and shouldn't really focus on in a game. On the other hand, that is the single most intimidating thing I've ever seen in a board game. There's a pie chart on page two. I I am in so far above my head. I mean, that sounds fantastic, though. I can't wait to hear more about Obsession, and uh, let's see if you can ever summon the Underbutler. We're, of course, going to go ahead and move on to our main discussion. We're going to bring you a review of Stardew Valley in just a minute. Alrighty, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates, and we're going to go ahead and dive into our main topic this week, which is a review of the board game adaptation of Stardew Valley, the uh, super popular uh, farming simulator of cute graphics and uh, fun vibes that was turned into a... Uh, I would say a pretty complex board game of uh, of with a fair amount of uh, mixed reaction online amongst reviewers. And uh, Ian and Aaron have played it. They have thoughts. They have feelings about it. We're going to jump into it. Ian, why don't you set us up? What is Stardew Valley? Yeah, so Stardew Valley is a farming simulator. Um not a you know one to one, but for those of you who may have played Harvest Moon back in the day, it is you know a very cutesy game about just growing your farm, growing crops, getting animals, make, getting your farm bigger, making connections with the other people in the village, and with the goal of restoring the community center that has fallen into disrepair and really bringing the community back. It's a game that is meant to bring you good vibes it's meant to be relaxing you jump into it you get to see your crops slowly growing there is a bit of time management to it but overall the game is very forgiving and really is is not going to give you a hard time so the board game itself is kind of a bit of a different beast so when you approach the board game it operates in somewhat of a similar way the end goal of the game it is a cooperative game you're going to be playing with up to four people and as you play through the game the end goal is for you to complete a bunch of objectives there are objectives that are more overreaching and then there are a bunch of objectives tied to the community center that you must fill these bundles up. And these are going to be various things. There are a whole bunch of different resources you can get. There's stuff you get from the mines. There's stuff you get from fishing. There are things you get from farming. There's a whole lot of different resources. There's a whole lot of different tiles. There's many different things you can get between items, profession upgrades. It is a lot of game. There is a lot of stuff packed into this. I am not going to begin to try to break down all of the various rules and the way that this game works, because to do so would be way too difficult. Um, 
but I kind of just want, and I'm going to throw it to Aaron because he had his first impressions, but I kind of want to speak specifically about just a couple of things. One of the things that I found when, when playing this game and teaching it to other people is that it kind of has a uh, missing the forest for the trees almost feel to it. There's a lot of stuff going on here. It is difficult to understand the game on first playthrough. Uh, If you're going to be teaching it, you definitely need to play through it once. Um, The general gameplay loop is just that your character has two actions to take each turn. Uh, The game is broken down into seasons. You get probably about four uh, rounds for each season. Over four seasons, you're going to end up having about 16 turns, give or take, depending on some like uh, events that might come up. You're probably going to have about 16 turns. On your turn, you get two actions with which you can either go to the mine and get some ore to upgrade your tools, or you can go plant some seeds and then water to try and get uh, you know, to actually get some crops, or you can go and make some friends at the community center. So your action economy is very limited, and you're going to be constantly balancing, well, I really want this resource, but we desperately need to make some friends because we do not have enough hearts to un- to figure out what all of the cards are that we need to end goals, because the end goals are not available at the beginning of the game. So, especially with more people, there's a lot of coordination that's going to be going back and forth between people. You're always going to be trying to figure out what is the best mo- what's the best role, what's the best thing that's going on here. Um, Aaron, I kind of want to throw it to you because I, I could get really bogged down in this, but I kind of just want to get your first impressions of the game. When we jumped into it, I've already played it twice before this, so I've played it three times now. This was your first time playing it, period. I kind of wanted to, to get your feeling of just how you felt going in, how you felt after the game. Initial thoughts. This game feels like they really wanted to make sure that whatever your favorite part of Stardew Valley, the video game is you were able to replicate that in Stardew Valley, the board game. Every, when I say everything, is everything is in the board game to the detriment of the board game. There are... It, it almost feels like a game like Caverna, where it could have been this classical Euro-type design where... There are a lot of different avenues for points, and some things will, you know, you might want to pursue this path because then maybe that'll also accelerate this other path. And then they got about halfway there and decided to make it a co-op game instead, and then had to strip all of that out and start halfway over. I... (laughs) We... Uh, accidentally cheated in one way. We purposefully cheated a one way, got extremely lucky on our last couple of turns, and won the game. And I don't know that I would say it was a fun game. You know, I, I think the best co-ops should be winning by the skin of your teeth. It, it should You should always feel like you earned the win. Uh, whereas this was was mostly a lot of things happening in our favor in a row that we could not have planned for. And if they had not happened, we would have lost the game, but they were not things that we had control over. They they were not the results of well thought out and executed plans. It was just, we drew a card and that card said, 
oh, that thing that you weren't going to be able to do, now you probably can. That is a big part of the game that I do kind of want to circle back to, is there is a lot of randomness in this game. As you're moving back and forth uh, around the village, as you're taking the actions on these various spots, you're going to be doing things like fishing. And when you fish, you have to roll dice. And if you get bad results on your dice, you might get no fish. And that becomes an issue when you only have two actions on your turn. And so if you don't get fish, that becomes a big issue. Same with going mining. If you don't get the thing you needed, you can be in trouble. All of the forgeables that you're getting as you go back and forth, those sometimes are things that you need and sometimes they are things that you don't need when you're getting stuff from your animals if you have a cow and you roll the animal die if you don't get a cow you don't get anything from the cow so there is a lot of randomness that is baked into this game and you know you can mitigate it but mitigating it a lot of the times requires you to have the resources that you might not get if you're getting bad rolls so it's kind of it's difficult in that way. It sounds like you could get stuck in a spiral then of like bad luck. You don't have the resources. You don't have the resources needed to get out of it. So you then get really dependent on luck to like turn the game around. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, an example from uh, the first game that I had when I was uh, teaching people to play this game. When you go through and you're unlocking the objectives that you need to get to the end of the game, you do not know what these objectives are at the start of the game. They are hidden from you. You must pay to reveal them. And so the game does not immediately say, oh, you need to unlock these first. You need to make sure to reveal these first. Each season, you have resources that you can get that are unique to the season. And once that season is over, you can no longer get them. Some, A couple of the goals may have requirements that are based on seasonal objects. And if you have passed that season and you have not unlocked that card yet, then you may turn it over and realize that the thing that you are trying to complete is not completable. You can soft lock yourself out oh, no. of finishing this game. When we played it the first time, we turned that over and I said to everyone, all right, so we're going to lose. But since we're learning, let's just keep playing. Let's try and do everything else. If we do everything else, we'll consider it a win for ourselves. And then we get to like three quarters of the way through the game. And an event or an epic item is drawn. And it basically says, you can complete one objective for free. And we were like, oh, okay. So we'll just complete the one that we couldn't do. But the chances of getting that are, you know, one out of the entire deck. Yeah. What were the chances of getting that? So essentially, a lot of the time you do find yourself... And that's not, that's not to say, if you know what you're doing, like when I played with Aaron, we unlocked those right away to make sure that we weren't going to get softlocked out of the game. Mm -hmm. But it requires you to prioritize things that it does not make clear, and it is very difficult to like figure out the first time. You have to make sure you're very much prepared for that instance so that you can rush to get that done. So I have never played this board game or the video game that it's based on. So uh, I'm kind of coming at this totally with just what I've picked up uh, from the pop culture osmosis about Stardew Valley. But my sense is that the Stardew Valley board game, a big part of its appeal is that it's incredibly chill. Chill vibes, a game that you can just sit down and kind of just vibe out to. Is that fair if you've played the, the video game? 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. This is yeah. Stardew Valley is one of my favorite games on the Switch because I'll sit there and just kind of passively play while we're watching a TV show on the couch. If it's something I'm not interested in, but I don't want to do something somewhere else, I like spending time near my wife, yeah. so I'll, pl I'll play Stardew Valley because it's just really relaxing and I don't have to invest a lot of brain power into it. Yeah, one of the... One of the key tenets of Stardew, the video game, is just how low-key, low-stress, you're never locked out of anything. You can always try again next year. If it's if it's a, a specific, you know, if it's like submitting a pumpkin to the festival for judging and you didn't succeed on doing that this year, that's fine. You can just do it next year. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, you can... You will never – there is no point in Stardew Valley where a screen pops up and says, this is how you did. Right. You're just you experiencing just, it. You just can keep playing it forever, and you never you can never miss anything. And the whole time we were playing Stardew, I felt that time pressure yes. so, so mm. hard. That's like, what I was about to say. It's, it's it, so it funny. Was, it was so – I mean, nerve-wracking almost the whole time of like, we're not going to make it, we're not going to make it, we're not going to make it. Okay, yeah. maybe if we go here and do this, and then we would get lucky on a card or a die roll and be like, okay, okay, that's that taken care of. Now we can worry about the seven other things that we weren't going to be able to. And it's just like, it does not feel like the board game was made for the audience of the video game, yeah, despite the fact that it definitely was. That's what I was, was. wondering. It's so crazy to me because it feels like they managed to create a game that a board game that evokes the look of the game of the video game really well. It's got the charming art. Uh, they've they've lifted a lot of the look and feel of the game from the video game, from what I can tell. But it plays from hearing you guys describe it. It seems like it doesn't it doesn't evoke the vibe of Stardew Valley at all. Like it's so much more intense. It's got the it's got the feeling of a highly frantic co op game like Pandemic, where you feel like you're on the edge of defeat constantly and you're having to like. You, you need that right combination of luck and good decisions to get by. And that's a really funny thing about a game that's like about harvesting pumpkins and hanging out at the community center. Yeah, it has, it definitely has similarities to Pandemic. And I actually want to come back to that. Remind me to address that point again. I do briefly just, I want to put in a little bit of defense for this game. Okay. Because I, I want to, like, this is not, I'm not, it's not a great game, but it's not a bad game. A lot of the stuff, like the time pressure, I felt a lot better playing it again with Aaron because I knew what was coming. I knew what to expect. And a lot of the game is about that, is knowing that you need to unlock these first. And, you know, as you go through the game, this is what's going to happen. This is the process that needs to be done. This is how your resources are going to kind of, you know, scale over time. And so worry about money last because by the end of the game, you're making money hand over fist. So don't stress about it at the beginning. You know, don't spend money that, you know, you can't get back. Things like that. You're going to be able to, as you play it more, the little fiddly parts of the game that take up a lot of brain space for you the first time you play it because you're, it's a mechanic and you want to make sure you don't forget that mechanic become less stressful. And so the game itself becomes less stressful. I think I enjoyed myself way more than Aaron did. Uh, playing the game that time it's also a cute game i mean it is actually pretty nice to look at i don't think it's i don't think it's the best board you're ever going to see but it does match the art style of the game it's pretty cute they have nice dice that you get to roll they have decent tokens for the 
gold and the hearts and all of the various you know crops that you have it's also fairly decently well thought out so if you have a crop you just flip it over to make it a quality version if you have an artifact or a mineral those are double-sided because often you're getting those at the same time you get to decide things like that so it's for what it is component wise it looks nice it feels nice and i think for if you're willing to have a group that is willing to put in that time to think about it if it's a game that maybe you all enjoyed perhaps the theme is enough to get you through figuring out the game and learning it so i would say i would say that in its defense is that while i don't think it's the best game it's far from the best game i don't think it you should completely write it off right now well you know and it is nice to have a co-op experience that isn't driven by like i don't know zombies vikings dragons like there's so much genre heavy you know stuff out there in board gamings or like you know uh, or something intense like uh pandemics like disease uh you know trying to destroy the world it's nice to have like a a, a theme that maybe a broader cross-section of people might find appealing or interesting you know absolutely so you need you need lots of stuff in this space so that everyone can find the right game for them. Yeah, and and to the credit of the game as well, one other thing I want to put out there to the credit of the game, it knows that it is quite hard. Yeah, it realizes that it is not an easy game, and so something they say is the first time you play, instead of trying to refinish the community center instead of trying to do that don't worry about that at all just finish these four objectives that you're given finish the the four main objectives that you have and if you do that then you win focus on that first yeah. and so that's how it says to approach it and i think that does actually give you a much more relaxed approach to the game because it is less stressful in that way especially after you play it the first time realizing how because you know you get through the first season you feel like you did nothing but things snowball pretty quickly so after the first playthrough you get a better feel for how that that progresses yeah and, and so and they, they do they do realize it's a hard game and they are they are willing to approach that now the one thing I, I would suggest as well, if you pick up this game, if you're interested in playing it, go on, read some of the stuff people are saying about it, and try some of the home ruling that you need to do. Because so, in particular, there's one mechanic. A lot of the stuff that you do in the game requires hearts. Hearts are one of the two currencies that you can get in the game. Most notably, if you're trying to complete the community center goals, if you're trying to play the game in, in, in the harder version and you want to, to beat those, every goal has to have hearts spent equal to the number of players to be revealed. So if you got four people, you got to spend four hearts. If you got two people, you got to spend two hearts. It scales as you go. The only way you can get hearts is by making friends with the villagers. Now, the way the base game is set up is that if you go to make a friend, you draw the top card of the villager deck and you make that friend. But each friend has a list of things that they like and that they don't like. If you have a thing that they like, you get an additional heart. If their birthday is in that season, you get another heart. However, if you have something in your inventory that they don't like, you do not make a friend, you get no hearts. And you have wasted that action. And you have wasted that action. So because getting hearts are such an important part of the game... Not being able to plan and know that you're getting those hearts makes it incredibly difficult. The way that I've seen a home rule and the way I've played most of the time is that you have three of available cards that you can see, so you can plan a little bit and you can try and get the hearts that you need, which also just thematically fits with the game itself a little bit better. I mean, 
you know, that you, why would you not know who's there that you can be friends with? Um, but so that would be my suggestion is to definitely, definitely find some of the, the home ruling. I do, you know, before we go on too long, I do want to circle back just briefly to the comparison to Pandemic and some of the other co-op games, like I think Spirit Island as well is one I would, I would throw out here. You know, in a lot of these games, and I mean, in all co-op games, if it's designed well, the clock is going to feel like it's ticking down. It's going to feel like it's moving quickly and you have to balance all of your actions. When you're playing Pandemic and when you're playing like Spirit Island, the things that you do have weight. If you're playing Pandemic and you're like, okay, I'm going to go here, I'm going to remove these cubes. You can do that. There's no luck involved. You're playing Spirit Island. You have actions that you can take. You can push people off. You can do stuff. Everything feels like you have weight to it. The fact that in this game, you can have entire turns wasted because your roles achieved nothing does not feel good. That would be my biggest complaint about this game. The rest of it you can is, is up to whether or not you like that particular mechanic or not, how you deal with it. The biggest problem for me is that you can have an entire turn where you did literally nothing. Not because you had a bad turn, just because you had bad roles. And that mm. does not feel good. Yeah, it's it is so punishing. It also has a weird balance um so we you know we played a, a two-player game and the the way the game balances itself of having more or fewer player characters is on your everybody gets two actions per round across the table so if you have four players then eight things will get done each round if you only have two players four things will get done each round and the way the game balances that is you there you you multiply uh, most of the objectives by the number of player characters in the game, which, from what I saw of the game, is very poor balancing because like one of the objectives is a certain number of forageables that are things you get moving from one location to another location. So that's one part of one person's turn. But you're losing two actions in exchange for having to gather one less of those things. So it it doesn't quite scale well. And, to, to my, and again, uh, like Ian said, I've played this exactly once. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not that guy on the internet who's like, this game is horribly unbalanced. This should be sent back to the design flaw. I didn't <laughs> like certain parts of it. Like Ian said, also, I didn't. I mean, I didn't hate it. I don't think it's a bad game. I think it is a game that has its flaws, and I think that it, it is a game that that unlike a lot of games, you have to approach it on its terms, and you have to understand what it is trying to accomplish to enjoy it. And I think there's absolutely groups of people who will think this is the best game ever made, and I think they will be right. Yeah. So I guess to, to kind of wrap this up, I want to give my final thoughts on it after having played it a couple times and just kind of run out our closing thoughts on what we think about, you know, whether you should pick this up. Um, my general, the way that I feel about this game is that I wish it had, I wish that they'd spent more time thinking about the way it feels to play it. Because there are a lot of competitive games that feel good to play even if you don't win. 
that's a lot of the games that I like to, to play myself. Think Sagrada, think Wingspan, you know, Azul. A lot of these games where you're building stuff, you see things progress. The stuff that you have done over the course of the game feels good to accomplish. You could have made this into a game about building your farm, planting crops, getting a barn set up, getting cows. You could have done something like that, and the person who makes the most money at the end can win. It could have been something as simple as that. But then you still feel like, oh, well, I may not have won, but at least I built a barn and got three cows. You know, that's pretty fun, mm -hmm. right? You could have done that. You could have had a good time with it. This is not the feel that I thought I was going to get from the game. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it can be different, but I wish it had been slightly different. Um, the game itself, if you're actually thinking about picking this up, you're probably not going to find this for cheaper than $60. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of places are selling it for 70 90 100 uh, It's not a cheap game. It's, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to it. You know, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on with it, but it, it's a little bit of a chunk of change. If you're interested in trying it, I think it might be worth trying out on Tabletop Simulator uh, or somewhere online that you can try it out, somewhere where you can play it, get the feel for it with maybe some friends. Or, I mean, if you're willing to check it out, you know, then I, I think... I think it's worth it if you really enjoy Stardew Valley itself and you don't mind hard cooperative games. I think it's worth checking out because I do think there is a good game buried in there if you work with it a little bit. If those aren't something that you think you're ready for, then unless you know somebody with it, I'd probably steer away from this one. All right, so that's our review of Stardew Valley. Thank you, as always, for listening. We do really appreciate it. Matt, if people want to get in touch with us or check out more of our stuff, where can they do that? You can find us on Instagram at Dice Pirates. Uh, we're there all week uh, posting about what we're doing, updates, mini reviews. Uh, send us a message. We would love to hear from you. We always do. Of course, keep your eyes peeled. We will be returning with a new episode soon, but until then, we'll be right here on the Dice Pirates. Play more games!